My question for you is, uh-huh. um, have you had any apple cider donuts yet? Yes. Not as many apple cider donuts as I should. <laughs> Nobody really ever has as many apple cider donuts as they should. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. I actually, I, my roommate, um, maybe a weekend or two ago, hold on, my, my roommate's cat's trying to navigate getting on the table when he thinks she just gave Aww. up. Um, Hi, kitty. My roommate uh, went apple picking uh, a couple weekends ago, and she picked up some apple cider donuts, and I was all, like, jazzed after being introduced to them by you and Tim. And yeah. I, I got to say, the ones in Maryland, not not as good. Not the same, as right? The, as the ones that are solidly, like, in New England. It's true. It really is a New England phenomenon. And it, part of it is the apples. You know, you're getting different oh. apples here. So the cider that goes into the cider donuts is a little different. So I, I, I feel like the ones that we had at the retreat, or I'm assuming yeah. that the ones that you have had uh, throughout the last maybe month or so, yes. um, tasted like... Um, you know, there was like a, I don't remember if there was like a, if there was a glaze on them or not, but the apple flavor seemed like it was inside of the donut itself. Whereas the ones that my roommate got had sort of like an apple, almost like an apple sugar glaze on top of them. Oh, no, no, no. That is not an apple cider donut. Yeah, that, I mean, is enti- was... that is an entirely different phenomenon. No, the, the apple cider donuts from the orchard down the street in New England here are... They're made with cider. Like cider is an ingredient right. inside the the dough of the donut. Yes, and that's like I I, I didn't realize that there was um, that there was discrepancies between I you know I thought that all I, apple cider donuts were created equally, but that is totally not the case. And I was I mean they were I was appreciative that she got them for me, and they were not terrible. But when I bit into the first one, like my first bite, you know, it's like if you if you pour yourself something or you you but you're expecting something else, that initial sort of just not revulsion, but sort of like, oh, uh, uh, um, yeah, because it is yeah. totally not at all what you're expecting. I, I had a little bit of that. and It took me, uh, I don't know, maybe a handful of minutes to kind of recalibrate my my expectations of like, OK, well, I'm. I have to meet this donut where it is and not <laughs> not expect it to be, um, you know, the thing, the, I guess the, the holy chalice of apple cider donuts that are a new, the New England craze. Yes. Yeah. Really trying to, um, to be open to each donut and to not bring our own preoccupations to bear. Yes. Yes. Because, you know, like it's, <laughs> and that's the thing, like as long as it's a cake donut, I have no, I have no problems eating it um it can be you know it can be weirdly flavored it can be whatever but i will i will at least moderately enjoy eating that donut it's interesting so i have i have a donut update for you actually okay um yeah this is exciting so one of my students works at the orchard that makes the holy grail cider donuts (laughs) so there may have been an occasion where she brought a bag of extra donuts with her to class mm. at 8.30 in the morning. Like, I I don't understand how you have extra donuts. It, it I seems, don't either. It seems like any number of donuts is not, is not a sufficient. Yeah, it's not a sufficient yeah. number of donuts. Yeah. 
It was it was like a really joyous day. It was it was truly like a beautiful way to start a week to come in and find an entire bag of extra cider donuts sitting in our classroom so, for our very tiny seminar style class to enjoy. <laughs> um, would any has anybody or would anybody bring in apple cider donuts as in lieu of a birthday cake? Have you ever? Oh, I would. Okay. I haven't done it yet, but I I would and I should and I you, I need to do that soon. Do you have an autumnal birthday? I don't. I am an Aquarius. Oh. So I was born in January. Same here. Well, I mean, not in January, but I'm I'm also an Aquarius. You're a February Aquarius. I am. Okay. So when is your birthday? Mine is February 10th. So I'm I'm almost okay. at the cutoff. Yeah, you're you're getting near the end. You're yes. still like what a solid week week mm-hmm. left of Aquarius, though. Okay, yep. mm-hmm. I'm right at the very beginning of Aquarius. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. I I feel I feel strange that we have not. Have we talked about this before? I don't no. Feel like, I don't How have we not talked about this? I don't know. This is huh. Well, clearly, we're going to have to do a whole separate podcast oh. just about this because that's a big discovery. Okay. Yes. Ooh, Do you, you know might... who else is an Aquarius? Uh, you mean that we know or just... That we both know? Uh, yeah, that we both know. Tim? Nope. Actually, Bridget Samo from our retreat. Really? And Car- yep, and Carolyn Wagner. Wow. Our retreat meditation teacher. Yeah. Huh. I know. I know. We call each other our Aquarian sisters, and we go out for it's true, and we go out for Aquarian lunches. It's oh, lovely. That's so sweet. <laughs> Occasionally, we go out for an Aquarian glass of wine as well. <laughs> it's it's really interesting to me. Like I, I don't really give a whole lot of credence to like horoscopes. Um. Or to really like the like zodiac profiles. Like I, I, I weigh zodiac profiles about the same that I weigh like the Myers Briggs like personality types. Um, although it is odd that um, as an Aquarius with a Scorpio moon sign, um, I line up almost point for point with an INFP. Huh. Which is weird. Interesting. Which makes me think that there's like, maybe there's something, you know, there's like with that, with that, I mean, at least for me personally, with that level of correlation, it seems a little, uh, a little too much to just be a, a coincidence or a little too much yeah. for it to just be sort of, you know, like a shot in the dark. But. Yeah, it's, I actually, it's interesting you say this because I, really found my Myers-Briggs to be quite revelatory because it was so exactly a description (laughs) of me. Um, And like, really, it was, it was almost like shocking to read it because it was, it read as though somebody had written a description of me um, and not as though someone had written a description of a personality type. And so I, I've actually ever since then have felt a a very strong sense that Myers-Briggs resonates in my life and is very helpful and accurate in, in thinking about my experience. Mm -hmm. I had not known much about horoscopes and, you know, aside from, 
you know, reading horoscopes in like a, you know, magazine or newspaper when I was like a teenager. Um, right. And I just had always sort of thought it was silly and written it off. And, um, and it's only been in the last year that I've started to learn more about it. And I'm actually really starting to be quite fascinated by it. And, and I'm finding that mine, especially when you do go deeper than just what's your sun sign, when you mm-hmm. start really digging in what's your moon sign, what's your rising, um, has been really quite accurate and, and really quite helpful at a couple of junctures. Um, and so, and especially knowing Bridget and Carolyn, we have another Aquarian sister who's, who's part of our, our little group as well. And, um, there have been moments where they've they've said, oh, okay, this thing that you're going through right now or this thing that's happening right now, like, you need to understand this because part of this is is this Aquarian nature that you have. And it's been really helpful to be able to frame it that way and to gain that kind of insight. So I'm becoming open to it in a way that I don't <laughs> think I, I – I mean, if really, if you told me 10 years ago that I was going to be open to thinking that there was some validity to this, I would have been incredibly skeptical. Yeah. Um, but now wow, really I think I've, I'm becoming more open-hearted. Yeah. So yeah, what, I'm really I'm becoming much more open. What is your what's your moon and what is your rising sign? Okay, I'd have to go back and double check all of it because I I went through and did like a whole kind of chart and I I want to have someone read the chart now, but mm-hmm. um, my moon is Capricorn and I think oh. that that's yeah, I think that it's really telling when when you put the Aquarian and the Capricorn together that there you find me. I'm right there. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, and I'm a cusp as well. I was my due date was Capricorn. I was born Aquarius, but only by a few days. So, um, yeah, it's really it's fascinating stuff. But I I still don't believe in like magazine horoscopes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I do think that it is interesting to kind of I I really think just to come to know ourselves through as many means as we have. Oh yeah, you and know like, I I discovered the zodiac stuff before like i you know you know how everyone takes well i mean i don't know if everyone does but i feel like this is a kind of universal thing that in high school you take the kind of the like official myers-briggs test Um, you took it in high school i'm pretty sure that i did wow it's interesting i've been having my students do it a lot of them have already done it for different school uh events or different school programs Uh um but i have a group of seniors right now who I've just been checking in with them and saying, okay, what, what's your Myers-Briggs? Because it's really interesting to see what the results are. In a couple of cases, it's like I can tell. I know mm-hmm. before they do it what they're going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really interesting for them to have a chance to reflect a little bit about who they are, who they yeah. are as learners, how they approach the world, how they think. Um, because that's been really helpful for them in having that higher level of self-awareness. And sometimes they look at it and they're like, I don't know, this doesn't feel right. But even when that happens, it's a chance for them to be self-reflective it's a chance for them to think about themselves but i never did my myers-briggs in high school really i'm so impressed that you did i don't we had a i think that oh i think that it was in our life skills class which was sort of like a catch-all sort of i you know like learn how to how to write checks and change a tire but also kind of about you know like real real white sex ed and relationship Mm -hmm. stuff um, and I want to say that we did it in that class, but I don't, I don't, I don't recall, um, fully, but so yeah. like, I, I had that experience, but I never really thought about it after getting my results. And then in undergrad, um, I really got into reading, like I found like the, the Aquarius Zodiac profile and I started reading that and then I got back into the, the Myers-Briggs and like, I, I agree that there is... I appreciated 
I appreciated them uh, really at the time because it gave me a sort of vocabulary that I could use to talk about myself. or It, it, it shed light on aspects about me that I didn't have the right wording or the right, um, I don't know, like insight or awareness to be like, yes, this is like, this is it before having encountered these things. Um, yeah, they're so helpful for that because they give you a language, even if you're going to disagree with some of that language, they give you a framework or a language mm -hmm. to try to start parsing some things about yourself. And I think at different stages of your life, that can be really helpful. I, I find it so impressive that you did it both as an, a, a high school student and as a college student. I don't, I didn't do my Myers-Briggs till I was 30. Oh, wow. Yeah. And oh. it was, it was so revelatory. I'm so grateful that I finally did. What what is what's your type? I'm I'm assuming that introvert is in there. Interesting. Actually, it's an I'm an extrovert, but I'm but barely. Mm, okay. I think it's like 55% extrovert. Mm. Um yeah, it's really interesting. So I'm an ENFJ. Okay. Um yeah, and it's really interesting because basically ENFJs in general tend to be this way. And because I'm, I'm sort of a cusp, I'm like 55% extrovert. Mm -hmm. um, this is especially true for me that I love being around people. I find it so energizing right up until a point. And then I, <laughs> and then I really need to like go home and just have a little alone time to process. Yeah. Um, like, so like it's interesting. Today. Like today, yeah, absolutely. I, I came off of three days of parent-teacher conferences, which I loved. I really enjoyed talking to my students' parents and, you know, spending time with my students and their families. It was wonderful. And I came home and I, I actually, I, I texted my partner, Tim, and I said, let's go out for lunch, just the two of us, because I just need to be somewhere where I'm not going to know anybody for an hour. Um, yeah. and, and it's really, it's important for me to have that downtime. Time. And but once I have a little bit of that downtime, I'm really ready to go back out and spend time with people. Huh. You Yeah. I I wonder if you're an ambivert. Like to be to be on so much on that cusp, I wonder if you if you're in that that range of it. It's interesting. I, I haven't heard that term and and I love it, ambivert. It sounds right. I, I do I really do think that I am more of an extrovert, but especially during the academic year when I'm doing so much teaching and I'm so socially engaged all the time, mm -hmm. um, especially as a boarding school teacher, you know, I'm really um, engaged almost the entire day long. Um, I do start to feel more introverted to the point where my first year of teaching at a boarding school, I retook my Myers-Briggs because I was certain that it had mm. changed. I was certain that I had switched to an INFJ. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I hadn't. I was still exactly the same person. I was still an ENFJ. Um, I just needed more of that introverted time. I had to be a lot more intentional about carving that introverted time out for myself. Huh. Wow. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. And it's also like, one of the, one of the things that I that I had to really, I had to, I had to fight for this, uh, realization was that, um, at least for me, the way that I see it, it's like, I, I am not in like an Aquarius or an INFP and therefore I act a particular way. Like I, I do things and I think about things and I experience stuff and I operate in a particular way and because of that, I'm labeled as these, these things. Um, so you sort of see 
the causality as being different. It's not this is my the labels are causing these things, but the way the labels are descriptor for yes. the way that I'm I'm feeling and experiencing the world. Yes, that it's okay. like, that you that there are and I, I would say the same thing with like any any sort of zodiac or any sort of like um like established yeah, like rubric of explaining of of labeling people's behavior. I feel like it it's always a you act a you do things in a particular way and there are other people that tend to do things like you and we're gonna call it X as opposed to you are an X and therefore you will behave in a particular manner. So you don't like to think of it as predictive. Yes. I, I have and I, I think that, that um I think that, that probably is a a uh, manifestation of my really really strong desire to not have people or things in power over me or in like um, like control or I I don't know like um, like a really uh, like micromanagey boss. You know, mm-hmm. it's like they tell you to do something, but they're always just sort of there watching you like, re- like they won't just let you do the thing that you want to do or that you, that they told you to do. Um, yeah, I, um, so in, in viewing these, these things as like, you know, you're an Aquarius and therefore you, you will do these sets of things. Like I, I, it really rankles me to think about it that way because you know, like, who are you to say that I'm going to follow these rules? And I feel like it doesn't, um, it alleviates the sort of, like, expectations that people have, um, that, like, if you say you're an Aquarius, someone will be like, oh, okay, well, that, you know, that tells me pretty much everything that I need to know about you. And there's, it seems that there's a positioning, and I, this might just be a personal perception of mine, that there's a positioning of, like, well, I now know you potentially better than you know yourself because of this information that I have. And, you know, I may have studied Zodiac or, you know, like Myers-Briggs for all of my life. Um, and it, it r- removes this sort of, um, I don't know, like spontaneity or improvisation that that anybody can just can have by the fact that they're living and that they're unique individuals. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it. I I feel like if it's a, you are this thing, and therefore you behave this way. It it really reduces the amount of, um, like actions or agency. Yeah, like agency and actions and experiences that deviate. It 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 reduces the amounts of like deviations that you can have from like that that central sort of curve of, you know. Oh, you're an Aquarius. You're going to do X, Y, and Z. And you're like, well, no, I don't really do that. Um, but you know. know what? I, I think about that. I, I, I absolutely agree that I think when you re- kind of reduce it down into a predictive mode, it, it becomes very limiting mm-hmm. and, um, you know, really uh, almost kind of bankrupt <laughs> in a sense. It kind of yeah. um, bankrupts the, the richness of human experience. Um, but I... So I think that there's an infinite way number of ways that we as individual human beings shade our lives with nuance and difference and and meaning and 
there's no way to reduce that down into one archetype or story or t- or, or type or category. Um, but what I do think is that sometimes these kind of guidelines, these ins- these larger insights, can give us a little bit of context. Oh, um, yes, to I- say. I totally you, agree. Yeah, to say, hey, you may find yourself struggling with this tension between the part of you mm-hmm. that has a moon in Aquarius and this part of you that has a sun, or excuse me, a moon in Capricorn and a sun in Aquarius. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, that you may find yourself, because you have this this personality that's sort of hovering right in between extrovert and introvert, sometimes finding a tension between your desire to go out and talk to people (laughs) and and output an enormous amount of energy in every conversation you have, Mm -hmm. and the fact that you also have this underlying real need to be by yourself for an hour, you know? Um, And so I think that in some ways, it can just when you're making those individual choices and and decisions about how you're going to frame a day, a year, a decade of your life, (laughs) to just be able to say, okay, I recognize that this tension may come up for me, and when it comes up, I might notice it a little more readily so that I can make those myriad individual decisions with a little bit more context, with a little bit more self-understanding and self-forgiveness. Yes, I, I, I totally agree. I, I think that they are that they're good places to start. And I, I think that the, the real thing that rankles me is when people use them as the sort of end all be all or it's like that's right that's the end like that's you you have arrived at this point and you're not going to move any further instead of using using these things as okay this is a, this is a place to start thinking about these things and then right you know using them almost as i don't know like a thesaurus that yes it's, it's there if you need it but you know how often are you actually going to sit down and like thumb through a, thesa- a thesaurus Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also think that you're right that there there can be a temptation for people to use tools like that as kind of an excuse to throw their hands up and say, "Well, I have no control over this anyway," mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, but I also think that there can be moment to moment, you know, periods in your life. I actually had this like two weeks ago where there was somebody who I needed to confront. There was a pattern of behavior that was starting to become a real obstacle um, and create a lot of disruption in my own life and in some of my professional relationships. And I needed to say something to this person because I don't think they knew they were doing it. And I was waiting and waiting for kind of the right moment to, to have this conversation. And I happened to have been doing a little reading about some Zodiac things because I really am just starting to learn about it, Mm -hmm. like just barely touching the surface of learning about this. And I had literally just read something that day that said, you know, you may be at a moment in your life where you need to confront somebody and you're going to feel this tension between knowing that you need to do this and wanting in the moment to maintain peace. And it may be a good idea for you to go ahead and have that confrontation because it's going to have to happen. And if you choose to do it yourself on your own terms, it's going to go a lot better than if you wait for this to reach a boiling point. Hmm. And it was really funny because a few hours later, this person who I needed to confront said something that really required addressing Mm -hmm. and it was but it was the kind of thing that I really even in that moment even after having just read that I felt that tension do I say something or do I let it go um and I and I said it and I I had a really good conversation with this person and it was really 
helpful. It changed a lot. And I actually think was really helpful for them. I think they honestly hadn't realized what they were doing. And it was important that they have that opportunity to hear it. Um, so, but it was like one of those moments of like, okay, here's some larger. And I don't, I don't know. I'm spirituality is still something that I'm feeling out. I think we all to some extent are, but just this moment of, okay, there was maybe some kind of larger insight that the universe was able to offer me that helped me navigate that moment and, Mm -hmm. and recognize that moment of decision of, do I go for peace for the next 30 minutes or do I go for, you know, maybe a, a tough conversation that's ultimately going to lead to a much more sustainable path forward. Yeah. Wow. I'm really, I'm glad that that, um, that like you, you had, you had that moment of serendipity where or copacetic-ness either. Yeah. Of um, yeah. No, I think serendipity is a beautiful word for it because I, again, I don't think that this is rigid. Um, but I do think once in a while, these things can come into our lives at a moment when they're helpful. And, you know, you receive the gifts that the universe gives you (laughs) in whatever form they come. Yeah. Well, there's also like, I just, I just thought of this and I, I don't think that I've ever had this thought before that, you know, like all of these, all the, the, like actual horoscopes or, you know, like whatever things that you encounter that might have to deal with some, some, manner of predictiveness when it comes to like you know like you a zodiac or and mm-hmm. whatever um it's i just had the had the thought of the realization that those things might be written for very specific people like not to see it as oh this is this is for every aquarius yes but this is for like if you happen like if you happen to be in this situation or there might be you know like six people that that's like everyone else reading it's like yeah it's not really that's not really going on for me mm-hmm. this week but somebody else who reads it's like oh my god this is exactly what i'm going through and this is exactly what i needed to hear yeah um, which i is i don't know like that i feel it makes me feel a little bit better or makes it it opens up that um those things a little bit bigger than i think that i ever saw them before and that i don't know Cool. Yeah, it is. And I think it's also an interesting fact that, you know, the circumstance, it's not just our individual variations, but also the circumstances of our lives that we all have moments where the circumstances of our lives are kind of coloring our experience because we have three straight days of parent-teacher conferences or, um, you know, we have something else going on in our lives that kind of pulls us away from maybe whatever celestial event might Mm -hmm. be predicting a certain pattern of experience and in that moment you know what we're really needing to kind of address what's going on in the ground in our lives Mm -hmm. um and you're right some of it may apply and some of it may not but i i don't know i'm I'm just finding myself as i get older wanting to be more and more open um in a lot of ways and so this seems to be one of them very recently really in the past year so Hmm. yeah Welcome, friends, to season three, episode one of So Poetry. Yes, I know, it's that's amazing. I kind of can't believe it that I'm in the third season of doing this. Um, but here we are, um, and I have the uh, absolute pleasure 
uh, to be talking with my dear, dear friend, Melissa Weiss, um, who is, I mean, as you've heard from whatever it is that I pull from the cold open to use as, as the, uh, the intro, uh, just a really rad, insightful, just neat person. Um, so Melissa, would you like to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you're, what you're doing, what you're up to? Hi, Michael. It's such a pleasure to be on the show. I've been listening since you launched So Poetry, and I'm so excited to be here talking with you and especially excited because you are such a dear friend and someone who I just value talking with so, so much. So it's sort of a good excuse for us to have a little time to talk yes. to each other and catch up and um, have one of our lovely free ranging <laughs> philosophical conversations yep. about life and creativity. And we had, um, we had one the first night of the retreat last year, right? Yeah. We, 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 I think every night of that retreat got up <laughs> really late and just, and we had so much fun and we would just talk so freely. I mean, we, we, we never knew where that conversation was going to take us. Mm -hmm. Um, but we always would get to these really interesting places. So mm -hmm. it's fun to get to do that not only with each other tonight, but also for whoever is listening. Yeah. Oh, and speaking of listening, um, I believe that I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I don't. I don't think you and I have ever specifically talked about this. But uh, in SoundCloud, depending upon like what tier you're at, um, you have access to uh, stats, which lets you let you see like what uh, what things that you've posted have people listened to, how many times they've listened to them, and where in the world that people are listening from. Um, and there have been a couple of times that I see a little tick from Pomfret, Connecticut. I'm like, oh, I know who that is. That's so cool. <laughs> That's so neat. I love it. <laughs> I love that it gets that specific, too. It's, That's really cool. I think in the U.S., is it, does it ever, like, hone down to specific, um, like, well, no. No, actually, I've I think that they've updated it, and I'm I'm now getting like individual cities from other countries too. Um, wow! Like I, there was, I want to say some French listeners, and I think a South Korean one recently, and I think one from Brazil, and I think that it, it like it pointed it pinpointed, um, where like where in the country they were, which is really really cool, and also, um, and I've mentioned this countless times before, but it's inconceivable to me that there are people all over the world who listen to this um because i don't personally know people all over the world so it's it's kind of gratifying that somehow people that i don't know have stumbled on to this um and are listening and that's uh, it's gratifying and humbling and um i don't know just it's really cool. I mean, yeah. that, that is really cool. And it's just neat that we can all be connected to each other in, in these ways that there are people who are, you know, connecting and, and feeling um, that sense of, of expansion because they're listening to something that you've created and, and that, that matters in their lives, too. Yeah. You're going to have to go on tour. My goodness. I, Look at you. I, well, like, Take I, so poetry on the road. <laughs> world tour. <laughs> <laughs> I um I actually applied for um God I I'm there's no way in hell I'm gonna get this job but uh somebody on Facebook one of my friends on Facebook posted that the New York Times was looking for a writer at large 
to make their 52 places to visit a <gasps> yearly itinerary. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, so on the, yeah. apparently I did not realize this until after I did the application, but the day that it was posted, I applied for that job. Um, and I was thinking of as a way, um, cause I think that they were specifically looking for a writer, but I was, I was wondering in, in the crazy, crazy long shot that I wind up in this job, um, if the reportage could be something that was akin to what I do with So Poetry, but not limited in, in scope, even though, as I'm sure people who have listened to this podcast before know that it's, it's never really just limited to poetry. It kind of wanders all over the place. Um, but yeah, so I, I was thinking it's like, that would be, that would be a really cool thing to, to get like a handful of people if, you know, like spending a week wherever it is that I, that I would hypothetically be and just recording it, like, you know, sitting down and recording and talking to people, but that's, I mean, could you do that regardless? I, I know it's harder to do if you're having to do it on your own dime, but it would be a really cool thing to hear you do at some point. And it may just be like one special episode a year to start, but I, I think that would be awesome. I would want to listen to that. Yeah, and I've, I think you'd be great at it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've I've definitely thought about it. And after um so I've been listening to a lot of My Brother, My Brother and Me and the Adventure Zone. Um which are you Melissa, are you familiar with those podcasts? I am not and I am like literally as you're talking like thinking that I need to <laughs> scribble them down because okay. I want to listen. <laughs> so so for, you, you have to send me, you have to send me links. Okay. I will, I, I will make sure to put them in the description. Uh, oh, perfect. Then, uh, my, oh, my brother, my brother. And me. Um, so for those of you who don't know, uh, my brother, my brother and me and the adventure zone are podcasts that are hosted by the McElroy brothers and their dad for the adventure zone. Um, my brother, my brother, and me is um, touted as a advice show uh, or advice podcast for the modern era, where people will write in questions, um, and one of the brothers will pick questions out of uh, Yahoo Answers, and they just sort of like improv. It's a comedy podcast, so they're kind of just you know like improving on you know questions that people have. You know, like a lots of like. You know, I work in an office, and occasionally I'm there at night, and I steal food mostly from corporate lunches. Am I, you know, leftover corporate lunches? Am I good? Stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. And the Adventure Zone is a, um, well, it was a a D and D playthrough, like playcast. Um, they are currently moving on, and they're trying out other games because their D and D campaign ended. Um, but the reason I bring them up is that because they go on. Uh, they go on tour, and actually, one of the things that my tea got on when I spilled it was my ticket stub from the Bim Bam show in D.C. a couple months ago. Oh, how cool! Um, I mean, but, not about spilling the tea, but no. cool about this the show. How was yeah, it? It was fantastic. It was uh, probably one of the funnest nights that I've had in a, in a, a long, long time. But thinking about like I. Um, just that that they do that, that they go on tour and that there's an audience. I mean, for them, because it's like a comedy thing and uh, it's like Im improv, that having an audience or like playing, going somewhere and doing the show live, um, it really works towards that because there's you can get a lot of the energy from the audience. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, w I would love to, to I've, I've since 
since listening to them and hearing their live shows, I've begun thinking more and more about like trying to get other places. Because like I I love I'm I'm very grateful that Skype that I have a thing that allows me to record Skype calls so I can talk to like you and talk. I had a friend, um, two friends that I did towards the end of season two. They were out in the the north northwest. Um, so it's great that I could do that, but I, I wish that I could have been sitting with them physically while, while doing this. And I'm trying to work out, Ooh, I wonder if we could get a grant to do this. That sounds like a great idea. Ooh. I like it. But you know, what I was going to say is I, I think that, I mean, I think that this has kind of been true for the last little over a year. Um, but I think that you're kind of getting ready or getting poised for some travel. Um, and I know that we've talked about a couple of different ways that that might play out for you, but it just feels to me like you're, you're kind of getting ready to invite some other locations and geographies and cultural experiences into your life, whether that's by going on trips or, by moving abroad for a little while, or I, I don't know what that's going to look like, but it, it seems like that's been kind of brewing for a little while and, and just keep, yeah. keeps gaining more momentum. And yeah, I'll be I, curious to see how it plays out. <laughs> I, I, I am too, because I, yeah, I've definitely been feeling, um, a little somewhere between like mild disquietness and kind of slight cabin fevery. Um, yeah. About like I I love being in Baltimore and I I'm very grateful to the like the support group and the friends and the so the chosen family that I've I've been able to put together here, but there's that sense of like I kind of wanna I kind of wanna see what else is like I'm I'm ready to see what else is out there because I've been yeah. I've been in Baltimore for uh it will be wow I think it's like six and a half years. Um, wow, which, that's awesome. Which is, aside from like New Orleans, the longest place or the longest amount of time that I've ever spent in a place. Um, and I'm sort of, I'm sort of feeling the the itch to to see what else is out there. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Hopefully, I, I yeah. And it may mean, you know, keeping your home base in Baltimore. It may not mean uprooting everything that you've built there. Yeah. It may just mean some periods of travel or a, an interlude away. I, I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting to see, but it does seem like you're building toward that and and increasingly so. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But so anyway, um uh you never got around to introducing yourself. Um. I guess I didn't. <laughs> this is this is the one hazard of us doing a podcast together is we're going to want to talk and it's going to yeah. be really hard to rein ourselves in. Yeah, um, we will just keep going. Yeah, so um, so I'm a, a fiction writer primarily, although I do a lot of personal essay and art criticism, cultural criticism. Um, I've done some literary journalism as well. Um, I yeah, not, I don't. I did not know that. Yeah, do you remember Urbanite? It was this great magazine in Baltimore, <sighs> and I have like folded real, a few years ago. I have real hazy memories. Um, yeah, it was a oh, it was a terrific magazine, and it was so it was a free magazine, really high quality literary journalism, and thoughtful, really in depth profiles, and um, 
just it was just terrific and it was available it was a print magazine it was available in all these different places around the city and, and it was a tough model to sustain and magazines in general are so hard right now yeah. um but they, they made a really good go of it for a while and then <laughs> folded a few years ago. Um, but yeah, I published a piece there. And, um, and and lately I've been doing a lot of art criticism, cultural criticism, personal essay. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. But primarily a fiction writer. That's, I mean, that's really, I think the, the nonfiction work that I do is really fulfilling in a different way and complements the fiction a lot. And then... In addition to that, I run Idlewild Arts, which is a, a small arts organization. We do the Idlewild Writers Retreat, which you mm-hmm. were an, a really big part of last year. We had you as one of our amazing Idlewild writers and just loved having you there. Um, and then I also serve as the writer-in-residence at the Pomfret School. So wear a lot of hats, but it's it's nice to have a lot of different ways of connecting with people in the world. Yeah. And I so um, I don't... I was going to say, I don't get a chance, but that makes it sound like the people that I get on this podcast, just it's happenstance. But I have, I have tried to weight this a little poet heavy, um, just because like, that's the world that I exist in most of the time. Um, and I found that, uh, not a whole lot of, well, I don't, there are, I would say that like, if you're not a poet, in your, but you are a writer, um, there is a higher likelihood, but not a given that you will be reading poetry. Um, yeah. so it's, it's always interesting to me. There was a, um, I had a, a memoir or like a creative nonfiction friend in, I think the first season, um, who was, it was really cool to talk to. And I've had some other like non-writers who are avid readers of poetry just to get the sort of like the other side of it. Um, yeah, like the the consumer side. So there are this. I was thinking that there's might be a little more like specific question heavy because there are some things that uh, that I'm curious to pick your mind about. But I'm I'm going to try to to not hold the reins on too tightly of that. That um, sounds like a good plan. We'll we'll see where we go then. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> no no guarantees that that's going to work. Um, I might give up at some point and just let this be what it is. But um, my first specific question that I would like to ask you is, have you ever written poetry? Like, have you ever waded into into the, the poetic world? Yeah. In fact, I, I would say that I was primarily a poet for a number of years. Um, really? Yeah. So when I, when I was young, when I was really young, when I was um, in high school, I was a prolific poet. I mean, I wrote poetry all the time. Oh. Um, I actually wrote, I mean, I wrote, some prose, but very little. Um, it was almost entirely poetry. I did mostly poetry in college as well. Um, I actually got a, a scholarship one year for poetry. So I poetry was really my primary form up until near the end of college. What changed? Like how, what, yeah, like what, what were the circumstances around the shift from poetry into fiction? That's a really good question. I I don't know that I have a simple answer for that. And I I also I don't even know that I have an accurate answer for that. I I can describe a little bit of what I think may have been going on, Please. but I 
I don't know that it's accurate. I I think that my poems started wanting to push into being much more narrative. Okay. I think that my poems started wanting to push into being much longer. Um, however, there's you can be an, a narrative poet who writes really long poems, mm-hmm. right? So it's not that that's necessarily a sign that one is destined for fiction. But I started, it's just started to feel like the poetry was wanting to be something other than poetry near the end. Like I would huh. say like when I was maybe 22, that started happening. Uh-huh. Um, and I was finding there was a lot of heat for me in fiction. Like it was really a place where there was just this immense creative energy happening. Um, and so that wound up being the place where I was, I was generating more. There was just, there was energy there. Um, and the poems seemed to be wanting to push themselves in that direction as well. Wow. It's interesting because there's this thing that sometimes happens to us as creative people where we start finding these increasingly specific particular niches. Um, And it can be a little bit limiting as well. Like I don't know that I will, I will ever be a good enough poet to be a poet. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Although, I mean, certainly if you'd asked me that when I was 20, I would have said, yeah, well, I'm a poet. Um, And so it's, it's been interesting for me to sort of occasionally like really like maybe once or twice dip a toe back into poetry in the intervening however many years um, because it it almost feels a little taboo like oh well I'm not a poet anymore right that's not something that I can claim anymore Um, and I don't it's almost like the muscles are so rusty that this thing that I used to just do so naturally all the time now feels a little awkward a little ungainly Um, so but it's I I hope that at some point maybe it'll all come back to it I, I don't know that I again I don't know that I ever will be somebody who's you know producing poetry in the same way that I can produce prose but mm-hmm. I I hope that it's not something that's just gone from my life I love reading poetry so much it's oh it's such an important part of my life um, I love teaching poetry I, I mean it's I it's such a, a beautiful beautiful form and you know, I, as I said, I hope I hope at various times in my life a toe will go back in the waters of poetry. <laughs> have you? Did you? So I, I have a I have a couple follow up questions. The first yeah. one: um, Did you go through any periods of prose poetry, or did you just start feeling like full on story, or like full on short fiction, or full on fiction was? the way you needed like was there any were there any intermittent intermittent stages between poetry and fiction or did was it just sort of like you you were doing one and then you just kind of started doing the other one that's interesting i i did write a few prose poems i mean not a ton but i I did write a few that i i i really liked um but i actually don't see those as an intermediate step or a transitional moment Mm. um i actually think the prose poems that i did were very distinct from any kind of fictive or or even non-fictional prose writing I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, they they felt very much like their own form because prose poems often do. I mean, they're often a very kind of experimental space. Yeah. Um, and so the prose poems I wrote felt very much like prose poems. They were poems. Okay. Um, and the transitional moment actually was happening when I was writing kind of much more... Um, I mean, sort of free verse lyrical poetry, I, and it, it again. I don't even know. It, it wasn't like they, the it wanted to look more like prose on the page. Uh-huh. It was more that it it wanted to to push into being 
much longer. Um, and, and it wasn't, even then, it didn't feel like, oh, I was starting to write short stories, but they looked like poems. It was like the poetry just wasn't quite the space where the most effective work was happening. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and the prose, and simultaneously while this was happening with poetry, I was also writing short stories, and the short stories had heat. Okay. And, and so... It, and the short stories really did feel quite different. It's a very different headspace. I mean, I don't know if, if every writer would feel that way, but for me, it's a very different headspace. It's, in a, it's a completely different process, a completely different way of thinking a, oh, about yeah. the world and approaching. Yeah, it's it's so different. Um, and so it was almost more finding that my, my, my brain, my creative spirit, whatever it was, was just much more... Um, drawn okay. to doing to doing prose yeah yeah I, I it's would a great question i would definitely i mean i've attempted a handful and by that i mean maybe five um pieces of fiction um and it i can i can certainly attest to having a different uh like those those types of writing uh, coming from very different headspaces, and I've I've actually I've been thinking kind of off and on a lot about the differences between um, like poetry and you know more lyrical creative nonfiction um, or like memoir and straight fiction, and then the weird sort of like prose poem flash fiction flash nonfiction space because um, I really I see a lot of like lyrical creative nonfiction is being sort of in between existing in a space between poetry and fiction. Cause you have, um, you have the prose and you have the sort of like, I'm telling you a story aspects that fiction does, but you have the much more, uh, elliptical emotion based telling of that story or telling of that, ex of those experiences that like you get in poetry. Yeah, it's that's a, an interesting form. I, I, I find lyrical nonfiction, lyrical memoir, really fascinating. Um, I haven't done a ton of it myself, and it's something I would really love to experiment with a bit more. Um, but the writers who are who are doing it are it's it's just beautiful and it's fascinating to read, and it does feel like it. It involves these interesting metaphorical leaps. Mm -hmm. um, that are really generative and and do feel quite quite in line with poetic thinking. Um, I'll, I would be curious if, if I do try it, how it would feel for me. Um, have you tried any? Have you tried any yourself? Any lyrical memoir or lyrical nonfiction? No, not really. Because I feel like one of the things that I've definitely noticed about my writing um, is that it's difficult for me to sustain long things um like mm -hmm. i write in bursts and this is actually one of the things that i was thinking about the difference between poetry and fiction that like poetry is usually um like a like at at the small at its smallest core like a singular moment or a singular experience um that you are sort of knitting into maybe some adjacent experiences or adjacent uh awareness or adjacent thought about <clears throat> about that experience whereas um 
fiction or things that are more prose based or feel more of like you are telling a story and there's there's a lot you know it's not just it's not just a a moment or like half of half of a moment um it's this whole world that's being created um and i think that i work better when i have like i can get into that moment and i can write and i can say and i can express what i want to say and then i'm out um and yeah. I, I don't have to because like um because most of the most of the poems that i write are usually written within uh i don't know maybe like a couple hours or so and i, I still have um and it's it's usually fairly close to an experience or it's like i can i can draw out and sustain whatever emotion that is at the root of that experience for about that long and then like i can't anymore yeah. and i i prefer to have the things that i write be pinned to a particular emotion or a particular experience because i know that like if the next time that i try to generate it it will be it will feel a little bit different um because you know it's like i i will be in a different place or i won't be like i won't i will never have the same relation to that particular thing that i did in the moment that i chose to write um the poem which is a weird sort of like within revision and, and doing that like trying to honor the initial thing that caused the poem but still have the room to like make it more evocative or make it clear in the communication I, I don't know um, yeah there's definitely some tension that I feel between those two things that I in while, while I was just saying them I was like oh yeah this is something that I have not t- totally thought out for myself um, but I'm just going to continue talking and hope that I wind up in a place that that makes sense. Um, it, it does make sense, actually. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, especially because I th- I think about your poetry and I think about the ways that there's this incredible presence, like you're so present to a moment in your poems, and then there's often there's often this really interesting way that you kind of. I'm not going to know how to say this exactly, but that that you take a moment and you kind of connect it sort of in a curve shape somewhere else. Um, I like that. Yeah, I'd have to draw it. But, you know, (laughs) do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it almost feels like with your poems that they exist when you have moments that you can be incredibly aware yeah. Like really present mm-hmm. to whatever's in in the world in front of you or inside yourself, and I think about that in terms of your experience doing residencies, and you've done, I think now three, um, the one in Nebraska, Idlewild, and then um, when you were up at the Vermont um, Studio Center this summer, yep. and I think about how generative those experiences have been for you, and uh, sort of the the gift of having time to be hyper attuned to be really aware really present um and i i was thinking about that in terms of myself too and just how i i i wish that we had lives that allowed more of that for us for for both of us (laughs) yeah um particularly for you it seems like i mean you could produce pretty much an entire chapbook of poems in a month yeah. um, if you have those opportunities to be incredibly present. Yes. Now, probably that would not be a sustainable pace 
if you did that 12 straight months, but it almost, it makes it especially important for you to give yourself residencies for you to give yourself those kinds of times. Yes. And that like, I've, it's, it's been interesting because I, I did, I feel like I wrote a a chat book, chat books worth of poems in Vermont and I've written like maybe three poems since then. Um, Yeah. And it's, it's taken a bit, and I've, I've recognized this. It's like I'm I'm very much – I'm very slowly but steadily shifting into like revision mind instead of generative mind. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's – I mean that's good for me because I, I don't like um, – like all of those poems are a unit and they will all exist together in some form. And I would like to get those things out into the world before I move on to like the next – Thing. generative phase yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so you need this fallow period so that you can revise so yes. that you can be in this other kind of space yes um, yeah but yeah i i mean it's i th- i think that at least for the poetry that i do which is very site specific and very like personal experience based like i i have to be open to what's happening around me like in, in those moments, like when I was in Vermont, it was always the sort of like, I tried to click on everything and just be, you know, like, what thing am I going to see? Like there was, I, I worked in the, um, in the kitchens, in the kitchen doing dishes on like every other morning when I was in Vermont, uh, to offset a little bit of the tuition. And, you know, like one morning I was drying the spoons and I looked at like, and there was there's like a soup spoon and then the other type of spoon, you know, they have like different shaped mouths, basins. I don't know what the, the, like the spoon part of a spoon is called. Yeah. Um, whatever. But I was trying to sort them to send them through the wash for a second time. And I was just kind of like sort of grabbing them. Like I was trying to get all of one type of spoon and I ended up picking up like the other type. And I looked at it and I thought to myself, how the hell can one thing ever be mistaken for something else? And then that was like, oh shit, that's that's my poem. That's the poem wow. that I'm gonna be writing today. Um, and it was you just, were really in a generative space. Yes. My gosh. Um, and there was like the the first day that I was there, I saw. Um, so there's a in Johnson. There's a uh, small river that runs kind of like right through the center of the town, um, and. Uh, the writing studios overlook the river and I was on the, mine was on the second floor and the first day that I was in the studio, I was just like sitting, looking out the window and I saw a little, a small furry mammal crossing like the rocks and the, like the far bank. And I was like, Oh cool. That's a squirrel. And then it did the sort of like telltale weasel, uh, Omega shape with its body. And I was hmm. like, Ooh, that is not a squirrel. Um, and I did, I spent like an hour and a half researching the uh, the fauna of Vermont to try to figure out what this thing was. And it turned, <laughs> out, it turned out that it was a mink. And I was like, I have never seen a mink before in my life. And I knew that's like, there's th- that's going to be a poem. Like there's yeah. going to be a poem about this thing. And it took me until, oh geez, I think like my last week that I was there, um, maybe like the, like the, Tuesday of the last week that I was there that I wrote that mink poem. Um, but yeah, so it's like, I, I, I feel like with the, the poetry that I do in the ways that I write, it's like, I, I have to be present and open and on. Um, and yeah. I feel like the, the, the prose writers who were there, um, 
it was much more of like the retreat or the the residency as hermitage that you know like they would go into their studio for hours and write and they would like they shut themselves off from the world because they have this own world in their head that they're trying to to create and breathe life into and get down on the page in a way that that is um like that has that that equanimity of what what exists inside of them um so that was that was a really weird and i I felt so bad for i don't know just just it was a weird space that like i would be in the studio for you know like an hour or two in the morning and i'd be done with my writing for the day and i would go out and do a bunch of other stuff and then i'd come back you know at night and then i would encounter some of the the prose writers coming out who had been in the studio for the entire fucking day writing um yeah and i was like well i feel bad that i got to go do stuff but i also feel bad that like i'm super envious of the fact that you can generate like there's a there's a woman there who was who was trying to write a novel in the two weeks that she was there and she got a little bit more than halfway done and i'm like i don't like i don't think i've written like a hundred thousand words in my lifetime and you got half of that in two weeks it's like i don't understand how you how like how are you how do you how do you do this yeah it's it's interesting i think um i think that there's there's this sort of writerly labor that that happens mm-hmm. and um it, like the the national endowment for the arts has this this slogan right now which is art works and I, it has a lot of different kind of layers um but there's a layer of it that i think of a lot when i'm at residencies and retreats which is that this is labor that, that this is work i mean mm-hmm. it, it's and it's it's not that it's it's a slog and i hate it and i you know poor me for having to do it i mean it's obviously a great a great you know joy as well but there is a component of it that is it is really intense work yeah and um, and physically exhausting. I mean, when you're doing that kind of intensive oh, yeah. novel right I, I mean, you, you finish the day and your body feels it. And it's, you sometimes it's almost like you need this, during certain stages of it, you almost need a physical corollary because you have, so it's just such a physical process to do that work and not just what your fingers are doing typing on a keyboard, but just there's, it, your whole body is oh, involved yeah. in it. There's so much there's so much mental power, like mental creative power that you, that you were expending. Um, so when you, when you write, is it, is it something that, I mean, I'm assuming that there are probably like days like this and days like other days, but is it, yeah? does it flow smoothly? Like, do you get into one of those sort of like fugue states where you just, like it's there and you just you're you're in it and the next thing that you know you know like 5 hours have passed or is it like you have to you have to you have to fight for each paragraph or does it's it i guess it does, it does it depend on like a given day or a given scene i guess maybe yeah it varies a lot um it's interesting because i've learned increasingly not to judge the way the process goes Mm -hmm. um because there are days where i'm able to generate a lot and sometimes i'm able to generate a lot because of what you said because it's a you know i'm just in this the really intense heat of creativity and um the time you know, it's I, like I can't contain it. It's all just bursting out. There are times where I'm able to generate a lot because I'm working really hard and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm getting myself through a really tough scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
the other thing that I've learned though is that there are days where I have a half hour and <laughs> and I spend the half hour and and I maybe generate a paragraph yeah. or or a page and and sometimes that paragraph or page is actually really important and amazing um, and is a real and I come back to it you know maybe even a couple months later and look at it and say oh my gosh that is that is the heart of this novel that I've been struggling over and it's right there. Um, so I've learned to really not be too judgmental or also not to have too many preconceptions, not to get too rigid about what process can look like because it can look like a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Having said that, um, and I, I mean, I'll say like I, especially if you're in, if you're really in a place where you're able to do it regularly, if you're able to write daily or you know almost every day um then you can sometimes have a day where you literally have 20 minutes and yet those 20 minutes are very generative Mm -hmm. i had a day last march and i was able last march to 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 write almost daily but i had one day where i had to take my car to the mechanic and then i had to go on a road trip um and i knew that the the 20 minutes that i was at the mechanic getting my oil changed were the only 20 minutes i was going to have that day and so i like bring my car in, hand the keys to the mechanic, sit in the, you know, and this is like, you know, this dingy little waiting room, <laughs> like just perfect, like throwback 1970s, like, mm-hmm. you know, wood paneling kind of place. And, and I just sit there in this waiting room with all these people around me and I literally type for 20 minutes. Like I just, I just like dive right back into the scene I'd been working on the day before type for 20 minutes. They come in, they're like, here's your keys. I said, okay, thank you. I closed my laptop, get in the car and hit the road. And it was actually like really productive 20 minutes. Like it was great. I got a lot done. I felt like the material I was able to produce was, was so vivid, so alive. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and in part that was because I was, I was in, my muscles were so primed, right. Right. Um, but I could, but the other thing that I have learned, and this happened actually for me a lot at my residency this summer is that, I and I think maybe other writers go through this too. I sometimes feel a pressure to be productive, to kind of justify yeah. um, the time and space that I'm dedicating to writing, especially when it's a when it's a residency. It's like I applied for this. I have the honor of having it. Like this is this is a gift that you know a foundation is paying for me to have <laughs> this time to work, um, and I need to to justify it by having an incredible amount of productivity. And I know that my day-to-day life at home is not going to allow this kind of time and space. Yeah. So therefore, I have to accomplish a lot. And at my residency this summer, oh, yeah. I kind of tried to, yeah, yeah I tried not, to force that. We have not talked that. about this, but yeah, sorry. Yeah. I- no, no, that's, that's, yeah. So I, let's talk about this. So I had, I had a residency this summer at the Ragdale Foundation, which is wonderful. And um, actually maybe one that you would want to think about because it's on a prairie. So, and we're going to have to circle back to this landscape idea. So oh, let's yeah, that's, both, that's a, that is a question yeah. that I'm, I'm definitely going to be asking you. Yeah. Well, so let's bookmark that to circle okay. back to. But so this residency is um it's right on a prairie in in Illinois. It's right outside of Chicago in um in a northern sort of suburb of Lake Forest, Illinois. And it's the residency is actually held in the home of Howard Van Dorenshaw, who is a very important American arts and crafts architect. And this was his personal summer home that he lived in with his family. Um he had a very creative family. One of his daughters uh, Sylvia went on to become a, a highly acclaimed sculptor. Do you know the the, the book uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil? Yes. It's set in your. It's set in the South. It's set in um, Savannah, right? Yeah. Uh, I 
think so. That sounds, that I think sounds it's right. Savannah. Yeah. So um, the cover of that book, there's a, a, a statue on the cover. I don't know if you remember seeing the cover, um, but there's this statue of kind of a, a, a girl and, and she's um, she's holding, I'm trying to remember what she's holding. I think she, I can't remember now, but she sort of has one hand up. Um, and so Sylvia, Sylvia Van, Van Doren Shaw, Howard Van Doren Shaw's daughter, actually was the sculptor who did that piece. So she's her her sculpture has kind of had this second life as the iconic cover of this best-selling book. Um, but at any rate, so it's this this house that was home to this this visionary architect to his sculptor daughter. Um, so just this house with all this creative energy in it, all this sort of gracious you know history of of creativity and of artists gathering together and having dinners and and in in the years since his his death and since his family moved out of the property they've turned it into an artist residency and and it's a really beautiful continuity because we're all going there and doing the same kind of creative work that he did, that his daughter did, mm-hmm. um, gathering together and having the same kinds of conversations that he and his family had with other architects and artists and writers when they were living in the house. Um, and there's this energy there when, you know, there's all these beautiful porches and screened in porches and, and verandas. And I mean, just all in all stone is kind of great art, arts and crafts era um, stone porches and, and looking out over this prairie and these lawns and these these fountains and sculptures. And I found myself really wanting while I was there to just be present in the house, to just almost have more of a poet's residency and mm. not live in this world where I was kind of just um, keeping my head down. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were too many days in that residency where I tried to force myself Mm. to be a really productive fiction writer. And I think that if I had allowed myself to be more open, to say, you know what, this particular residency, it seems like I need something different for myself, I think that that would have been a gift. And I did do it a few days, but there were a lot of days where I fought that. And I said, no, I have to finish this book. I told myself I was going to finish this book. And so that's what I have to do. Even when clearly, clearly I am being called to do something different. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I think we, I feel like we talked about this at the retreat last year. Like the idea of that retreats and residencies are like, they are time. They're definitely time for you to, to, to write, but there are like, you can take a more holistic view of them and it's like it's time for you to do what you need to do as like as an artist to yes to ensure that your work will happen and i think that you know like if um you know it's like if you if you go to to a residency or you go to a retreat or something and you need time to just chill and just be either in communion with other artists or just time to like have uh, really generative alone time. To, or like, daydream. Yeah, it's like to something that's like maybe you need to just reconnect with yourself or reconnect with, yes. like, you know, allow yourself to... Because I, I think a lot about... Um, I have a, a book on Zen meditation. Um, and I want to say that it's in that, although it might be in another book. But the idea of like, you know, you... The goal of meditation isn't to 
meditate. Like the goal of meditation is to train yourself to to access these states of awareness and these states of, of quietude in everyday life. Like you, you're supposed to take the meditation with you into the things that you do and to in, like that sort of presentness. Um, and it, you know, it's like, it's, it's tough to try to maintain that in the active world. So like you need some time to just like, you got to be away a little bit to, to have that training or to, to kind of reprime. I mean, and I feel like with, um, like we were talking about extroversion and introversion. I think that there's definitely like creative extroversion and creative introversion too, that sometimes like you just need time to go recharge your batteries yes. somewhere. Um, yes. Oh, the fallow time is so important. And, and I think you're right. That holistic, that, that part of doing a retreat or a residency is that holistic self care of who you are as an artist. Yeah. And the, the really, the funny thing is that, and, and you know, this firsthand, that this is the whole philosophy of the Idlewild Writers Retreat mm-hmm. that I founded, right? And so, like, the first day you all were there, I, like, sat you all down and was like, look, you know, part of what you may need is to take a nap. Part of what you may need is to go for a walk. And and it's so funny that even though I know that, and I know that so well that I built an entire retreat program based on that principle, it was, I had a moment where it was actually really hard to practice for myself. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I feel like it's so, it's so much easier to to create those spaces and to be um, like that patient and that gentle with people other than yourself. Um, I think that we are much, much harder on ourselves than we are on other people. So I mean, it's 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 fascinating, but it does make a certain level of sense to me that. Like, you know, you've created this thing, this retreat, but um, it feels like it's, you know, it's like you're creating this space for other people. Um, And then when you're in the space yourself, you're like, oh, but, you know, it's like, this is like, this is my time to go that I have away from all of of these things. Um, And it's like you you put your, you give yourself a little more of that burn than you would. um, Like if you viewed your, if you happen to view yourself as another person, you're like, oh, no, like, go take a walk. Like go yeah. <laughs> go hang out in a hammock somewhere and just right like, just watch the clouds. Um, so there's yeah no it's it's really true it's it is so much easier to extend generosity to others um, than to yourself. There is there's a a friend of mine um, and I think I may have mentioned this a couple times in the podcast before, but um, one of the I believe I believe she said that like she framed it as like one of the the best pieces of of maybe not necessarily advice but like insight that um, she got from one of her therapists was so she she deals with um, or she lives with anxiety mm. and but she's a very nurturing very like she will like if you have a problem she will be there for you and the the therapist told her it's like well what would happen if you viewed your anxiety as like a lost, like a lost little girl that you knew that you were trying to help? Like how would, how would that change your relationship with this thing? And she's, and she told me it's like, it, it revolutionized her way of, of dealing with herself and like affording herself the, the patience and the care and the forgiveness and the, um, you know, the sort of the, the gentleness that you would give, like a friend, if you saw, if you saw this aspect of yourself, it's like, oh, it's like, this is, I just, I gotta take, 
I have to like actually take care of this, take care of this, and not like I'm gonna I'm gonna deal with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's I'm I'm actually kind of working a little bit through the, some of that myself of just like like not measuring, and I know that this is this is not exactly what you said, but I feel like it's it's related that like not not measuring your progress or your path um either the totality of it with with whatever creative stuff that you're doing or specifically to like a a creative endeavor to anyone else's like creative path um because or like you know just you're measuring your productivity against somebody else's or measuring anything that you're doing against someone else's because you know it's like it's um it's so it's so tough to have that um to accept that, you know, like some days, like you, you may really need to write, but you're just really not feeling it. And mm-hmm. that's, that's okay. You know? And, but like that, that balance of if that happens more often than if, if the decision that you make is to not write more often than it is to write. And like, that, I feel like that's, that it's probably pointing to some deeper seated, like, oh, there's probably a, you know, some other issue at work here. But, you know. Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. That that and I was it's interesting you say that because I was actually just thinking um about this as well. Is this as we were talking, I was literally just having the exact same thought as is what you just said, which is this sort of the 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 push and pull between you know putting your work out there, right? Finishing work that you can put out in the world so that it can mean beyond yourself. Mm-hmm. And also needing to nurture the part of you that's creating it mm-hmm. and and usually you want those two things to be in flow right and mm-hmm. so you want to try to create work um that you can put out into the world and also do so in a context in which you are taking good care of the artist who's making that yes. work oh my god um, the you you, you're framing it like that just made me realize. So I, um, I started under, I don't know if I've told you this. Um, I started undergrad as a, as a music major. That um, is so interesting. And not, it, you had not told me that it's not at all surprising to me <laughs> though, to hear that. That's, that's really cool. Um, but I, I, I jumped ship from, music to English for a number of reasons. But one of one of the kind of driving forces was that I realized that I didn't have up up until recently I viewed it as dedication. Um but I think that it might be better termed as like self sacrifice that music students have. Um the like and I I took a continuing studies class at uh, Peabody for like some music theory, and as like the oh, first so great. the first day that I was um, that I was in that I had class, like I was walking just kind of wandering through the halls just to get a sense of of Peabody because I'd never been in like the the classroom side of it, um, and I could feel this energy, this like desperate energy and this anxiety mm-hmm. that was there. That I imagine that if I were to walk through a law school or a medical school, I would feel something very, very similar. Um, but that sense of like these musicians, from my my perception and my perspective, which could be incorrect. So 
if there are any musicians out there that are listening that have not had this experience, please let me know and I will, I will make an addendum. Um, but from what I picked up, it seems that at least for like the classical world, like the musicians who are, who are in school on the, in the classical track, um, are really like sacrificing themselves for their art. Um, and there is a, up until I think the way that you just framed it, I don't think that I ever really had the, I pinpointed why that felt so counterintuitive to me. Mm. Um, but it, it's, it's like they're, it seems that they're not like, they're putting everything on the line or on the altar for their art. And I, I don't think I can do that. And I think that the reason, one of the reasons for that is that, like you said a little bit ago, is that like, I'm, I'm trying to take care of myself too. And there's a lot of other aspects of myself aside from just like poet or aside from musician or, you know, podcaster that, you know, there's other, there are other aspects of me, um, that feel as big, if not bigger than the like creative aspects of me. Um, yeah. And I also, I think that phrase sort of lying it all on the altar, right? Like, like putting all of yourself on the altar that can happen in a way that feels generous or that can happen in a way that feels like an abnegation of self. Yeah. And I think when that happens in a way that feels like an abnegation of self, like a self annihilation, um, that blocks you from future creative work, right? That's a way of, of burning out. Yes. But you can you can have that same level of putting one's entire self on the altar, right? Of putting of putting all that one has out there, but in a way that feels like an act of generosity to oneself and to the world that is going to receive that work. Yes. Um, but but that there's a really long journey, even though the that sounds like the exact same thing is happening, there's a really long journey between those two mindsets. One oh, is a very yeah. scarcity driven mindset and the other is a mindset of abundance. And that's interesting that you, you phrase it that way because um, I've read a couple of books on um, polyamory and in specifically the ethical slut, they talk about um, the that like one of the aspects that can allow for polyamorous relationships to work is the shifting of the mindset of like love and, and time and attention and all that stuff. Um, shifting your view of it from a, like a scarcity driven idea of it to a um, abundance that like the more, the more love that there is, the more love that there is not that the more love that there is, you're somehow taking from the, the kind of pie or the well that mm. exists. Um, but yeah, I, huh. Ah, <sighs> this is like late night at Idlewild, isn't it? Look <laughs> at us. <laughs> um, I, it's always, I really, I always enjoy talking to you because I feel like we just, we get to these really fascinating places whenever we have a conversation. It's, yeah. it's such a joy. So I, I, can we circle back to landscape? Yes. Okay. So one of the questions that I, before you came to Idlewild, um, I asked all of our writers um, to share a little bit about themselves. And 
one of the things that you wrote, and I will never forget this, one of the things that you wrote before you even arrived at the retreat was that you have a prairie living mm-hmm. inside of you. Yep. And I think about it a lot. I've, I think about it a lot when I read your poetry, which I absolutely love. I have a copy of your book that has a lot of the poems that you wrote while you were in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about the way that that prairie just stretched out into the core of who you are. Um, and I also think about it a lot because I, I just, at the time that I that you first shared that insight, I didn't know that I had a landscape inside of me or I didn't I didn't have one that I was keenly aware of. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I had something happen this year. And so I have to tell you about it. Please do. Okay. So I think I have a landscape Yay. now. Ah. I mean I'm sure I always did, but I found my landscape. Oh, that is so exciting. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, I love it. Yeah. So I got back from my residency at Ragdale and I'd, I'd been away from my, my partner, Tim, for, you know, most of the summer at that point. Um, and so the two of us decided to take a trip together just so we would have, you know, a little time to reconnect before we got into the, the pace of our academic lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and we decided to go to New Mexico and, this was something that we had just, there wasn't even a reason. We just had this very intuitive feeling that we needed to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we flew into Albuquerque and drove north. And I we stayed for a few days in Abiquiu, um, which is a little bit north of Santa Fe. And went hiking. We spent a day along the, the Chama River. Um and went hiking kind of in the these just absolutely gorgeous mountains um, near Abiquiu. And I just had this moment. We, we, we got to the end of a hike. We were hiking out to Chimney Rock. Um, it was a rainy day. And, you know, we were sort of like debating whether to go for this hike because it was really rainy. But we, we wanted to do it. And we said, you know what, we're just we're going to give it a try. Who knows? It was monsoon season in the desert. Um, and so we, we kind of go out in the middle of this monsoon. And and because of that, there was nobody on this trail. I think that we saw three people. And that was really those were the only three people there. Um, and and they all were hiking back down and we were hiking up. And so we get to the top of, of this hike and, and the clouds cleared and the sun just, you know, broke through in that way that it can, where you actually see rays of light, Mm -hmm. you know, visual rays and this entire vast landscape that had been shrouded in mist revealed itself. Oh man. And it was like looking at God it was it was incredible it was so profound and i feel that landscape inside my bones like i just i feel that landscape alive inside me the colors of it the expansiveness of it the the revelation of it i mean it just it was so so powerful and so I have that landscape inside of me. Oh, that is so wonderful. I'm so I'm so thrilled that you you had that discovery or that that unearthing of this of this thing that's been inside of you that Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Right? Oh, and oh, oh, oh 
I just, I was so excited to tell you about it. I'm so happy that I get to tell you about it on the podcast too. (laughs) Um, Because I, I, I thought about, I really even like, I'm not in that moment, but maybe like the next day I Mm -hmm. thought about you and I thought, oh my gosh, I have to tell Michael. Um, So yeah, it, and it feels to me like it's, it, it's probably two main things. It's the expansiveness of it Mm -hmm. and it's the colors and how dynamic the colors are. I mean, that's that landscape is sage greens and and rich indigo blues and and these deep moody colors and these just adobe oranges i mean it's so many colors even the the sort of clay like soil itself has so many colors in it i saw inside in that soil i saw moments of green and purple and and this just rich umber and and blue in the soil i mean not even the vegetation but the soil itself i mean it was so it's just it felt so dynamic and alive for me it was really powerful you know what you should write a poem about it maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe i'll maybe i'll return to poetry for a moment for that for that experience like the the way that you're that you're talking about it like i that like that's that's it like that like that to me is like that's the moment that would that that's like that's the poetic moment you you had that you had you had this like the the almost like divine revelation of the things of the misclearing and like there you are yeah yeah it it was it was really quite something it's funny because i i don't even know if i'm ready to write a poem about it though like i <laughs> i want to tell you about it um but i i don't know that i'm ready to to put it into more permanent words mm. you know like it's still unfolding for me mm-hmm. Um, and I, I almost need it to feel more transitory still, a little more, oh, yeah. more fleeting, a little more like, in process. Ride, yeah. Ride that as long as, as far and as long as that takes you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, like it might, it might need to be a poem that happens like when I go back. Ooh, yes. Yeah. So have yeah. you, after, after the discovery that that is your landscape, have you noticed anything in either your writing or like just general creative life or general like internal life that you see as manifestations or as echoes of that landscape? Um, I, so I got back from that trip and immediately dove back into the academic year. Mm. Um, and it's the academic year is a really different kind of space for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that at, at its best, I have this immense creativity in my teaching mm-hmm. um, and this incredible kind of dynamic energy in my relationships with my students who I, I really love. I, I absolutely love working with my students. Um, but I don't always have as much time and space for my own thinking. A lot of what I bring to the world during the academic year is a generosity that's extended toward others. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I'm hoping to find opportunities to balance that better. I, cause I would like to also do my own personal growth during the academic year. I would like to find more windows for myself. Um, so I would say that I got back from New Mexico and immediately was immersed in someplace very different. But I think that what has happened is I've had moments where I've used that, that landscape, that incredible, expansive sense of self to help me reconnect with who I am nice. um, or almost to kind of balance and say, okay, we're getting a little too far away mm -hmm. from self, right? We, mm -hmm. need to, we need to kind of come back. Um, and so that, that's been useful. But I, I feel like the experience really is still unfolding for me. And, and I feel this way about a lot of experiences, like the experiences that we give ourselves that we really very much need, mm -hmm. that they don't just happen in the moment that they happen. They happen afterwards. Like mm -hmm. we draw from them for a really long time. Yes. Um, and I'm still drawing from this. I'm still allowing it to unfold in my life. And, and in some ways feeling like I almost hit pause on it a little bit just to kind of get myself through the fall semester. Gotcha. Yeah. So well, let's I'm, circle back to that question. Okay. Well, I'm, I <laughs> like am, in the future. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to just to see, um, cause normally like those of you who have listened to this before know that I send out, uh, like a little short questionnaire thing to just get my guests, like, things to not really have set answers for just to be thinking about and having, you know, like getting into the mindset of talking about poetry. Um, and since the episode with, uh, Shreya Harris, it has been customary for me to ask all of my guests, like if they have the vocabulary for it, what their internal landscape looks like. Um, and most of the time I feel like people don't come like super not super prepared, but it's like that seeing the question usually like a week before, um, is the first time that they've, they've ever really thought about it. And it's not a, it's not something that is a super, it seems like a super deep seated thing for, I mean, even though it is like, it's a deep seated thing, it's not something that's like, it hasn't developed enough for them to be a, a major aspect or a major player in like the, the core of, of who they are and the, what they do. Um, so it's really interesting to have you speaking about this, who it's like, you're, you realize that it's like, you know, you've tapped into something that sits really, really close to the, like the center of you. Um, and to have that experience be like, still be in the very early stages of the, that experience and discovering like what, what that means and just, like having having a new like a new internal landscape that you get to wander around inside of and figure out like what's yes. like what's there um that's really a beautiful way to say it and that's exactly right and it's and it's exciting and and I thank you for giving that framework for thinking about it over a year ago <laughs> um because it's it's really something that was exciting to realize when it was happening and it was really exciting, especially because I had had the gift of hearing you talk about your experience with this. Um, so thank you for, I don't creating that framework in which this experience could happen. Um, you, you know, I think it probably would have, but it was really helpful to have that framework ready, like ready for it. Like I was ready to receive it because of you. 
Oh, I'm I'm you're more than welcome. And I'm it's it's really, really cool to see the sort of like the direct result of that. Um that's I don't know, it's it's the weird sort of like honored humbling jumble of 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 feeling that I don't have a good word for that like you you exist right in the middle of these two things um but yeah that's that's so so you, it's interesting that um there was a guest in season 2 that also focused on like the southwest as the as the sort of uh fulcrum or the center point of their of their landscape. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't. So for them, it was, uh, the sky, like I said, the sky Mm. in Santa Fe with, Mm. with a cloud shaped like a dog and a bird flying, like flying across the sky. Oh, cool. So like nothing about the landscape, nothing about the surrounding area. It was just like the way that the sky looks there. That's, that's what it was for them. Um, which yeah. I don't know. It's 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 interesting to me to think that, and this like this is one of the reasons why I asked the the question is to just figure out like when I when I read Canyon uh, Jane Kenyon in in grad school, there was a, a definite sense that she looked about like looked to and talked about and described nature in an attempt to try to describe stuff that was happening on the inside of her. Um, which is very different mm. than, like, Mary Oliver as a nature poet, who is, like, very right. much existing in the natural world. It, like, you know, drawing, yeah. drawing connections into it, to it from, from her personal experiences, but, like, the stuff that she's talking about, um, like the, um, oh, fuck, like the hagfish or like the heron or the tree that she sees that's been split by lightning or, you know, like the, the, the goose that's in that real famous, or like the, the or right, whatever. It's always, it feels like it's stuff yeah. that's, that is definitely something separate from her that she has an intimacy with or that she's, she's, yeah. she's heading towards some sort of deep relationship and connection to, but reading Kenyon, it definitely felt like the things that she was describing outside of herself she saw mirrored or echoed inside of her so if she could accurately describe the things that existed outside of her then that would give her language to talk about the stuff that was happening inside um and i'm i'm curious and it's fascinating i'm curious about and i'm it's fascinating to me to think that like people are drawn to places or drawn to like locations or just drawn, you know, wherever that they're drawn to potentially because of some sort of corresponding landscape that exists inside of them. Um, which, yeah. And I, I think, I think that's not like the, that there are some landscapes that you really love, but they don't live inside you. I mean, it's a, it's a different kind of relationship. And, and you can have both. Like there's there's other landscapes I really love. They are not inside of me. <laughs> they are not alive inside of me. I just yeah. I just love them for exter- for external reasons, not right. because there's some deep interior mirroring. Mm. Um, so I I have to to head off and um, check in with some of my my favorite students. But um, I 
I just am so grateful for having had this opportunity to talk with you and like to get to be a guest on this podcast. I I love it. I, this was I, just when so I was, much fun. I'm I'm so I'm so grateful that we get that we had this because I was making a list a couple of months ago about like who I wanted to have as as a guest, and I wrote down your name and I was like, no, we had to have done this before. Like I have weird, like sort of really distinct memories of sitting down and like recording with you, and then I went back and checked all of the episodes. It's like, oh, I, how how have we not done this yet? How have we not done this? But you know, I think we were like we were just getting ready to do it because uh, we kept having all these amazing conversations, and we were just we were getting ourselves primed. That's what we were doing. But I'm so, I, like I'm so happy that we did it at the moment that we did because if we had done it any sooner, I would not yeah, have had an answer to you your, landscape your landscape question yet. Um, before, yeah. before we head off, uh, is there any yes. question that you would like to ask me? This is the, as you know, this is the yeah. way I try to end, okay. end the episodes. So it's funny because I was thinking about this and I feel like the question that I have to ask you is a question that needs to reverberate for a while. Okay. Um, and it actually relates to something that we talked about earlier. So my question for you is, how are you going to manifest this urge to travel? Ooh. I know. Oh. I couldn't have thrown you like a softball here. <laughs> like I was, I, I really thought about it and I was like, you know, I, I could ask you like, you know, some practical question about you know poetry or your work as a publisher or, and and all of those like I'm interested in but I also feel like I I've asked you those questions or like those questions have come up so often in our conversations before mm-hmm. and this feels like a question that is like a question for you that's not about what you give back but about what you yeah. what you you how you let it reverberate through you. Yeah. Ooh, that's, and it's, it's funny that like there are th- some things that you asking me that a couple of, a handful of things have popped up as like, Oh, this is a possibility or maybe this is a possibility. Um, yeah. But I mean, do you, would you like an answer now or do you want me to just stew on this for a while and um, like let, let you know if and when it happens? I, I kind of want you to stew on it. Okay. I mean, if that's okay. Because yeah, that's totally Because I, totally I feel cool. like the answer probably is that there's a lot of different possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and that almost like you want to let them be a little liminal. Like you don't want to record your answer just yet. Yeah. Um, but but so my request is like at some point when you're when you like let that be a little bit liminal for a while, um, will you do another episode where you talk about that? And will you call me back? Yes. So I can just have like even just like a really short like fifteen minute, ten minute little guest spot where I get to be on the air with you listening to you answer it. Yes, I would I will yes. Whenever whenever that manifests for me, I will I might I might just get you back on and we can just we can record for a little while. Yeah. Um okay. I would love that. Okay. I would love that. And it doesn't even have to be like, oh, I have the plan and I have the grant and I'm like leaving and packing my bags tomorrow. <laughs> Although that would be fine too. Um but it could even just be like when you're ready to like state that intention for yeah. yourself and like invite that in in a really like like when it's, it's almost an incantation, like when you're ready to really invite that in with the power of whatever you're about to tell me. So yeah, that's my question for you. How are you going to manifest this creative urge to travel? 
Okay. All right. I, I, will, I will let you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, well, thank you. Thank you so much for being on. Um, I have yet to come up with a good uh, sign off for the podcast, which I, you know what, this will be um, by the end of season three, I will have a set sign off for this fucking podcast. Um, <laughs> but um, in lieu of that, uh, Melissa, if there's anything that you would like to say as just a, as a way to, to send us off, um, be my guest. Thank you so, so much, Michael. This is such a joy. I love the work that you do with So Poetry and the way that you bring so many voices into this podcast to think and reflect and have these just very open, free-ranging conversations. It's been a total joy, and I wish you a beautiful weekend and some beautiful poetry. Thank you. Um, so that's that's it, guys, for season one. I mean, not season one, episode one, season three. Um, beautiful weekend, good poetry. I'll talk to you all later.